Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. From Nola Pizza in the Nola Brewing Tap Room on Chapatula Street in New Orleans, we're out to lunch with Peter Raschuti, Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and director of the award-winning Birkenrode Reports. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Raschuti. Welcome to Out to Lunch. If anything good came out of the COVID-19 pandemic, it was the advent of remote working. For some people, that means they now work from their dining room table or spend a chunk of their workday at a coffee shop. Other people have taken the opportunity to move out of expensive big cities to places not known for advancing careers. For example, over the pandemic, the beaches around Seaside in Panama City, Florida, grew by some 14,000 new permanent residents. And then there's a population of people who gave an even broader definition to that idea that you could work anywhere. These folks are known as digital nomads. In our own small business, INO Broadcasting, our web developer lives in Lisbon, Portugal, and our researcher, Maggie Mendel, who started her digital nomad life in 2018, has worked on Out to Lunch while living in 18 countries, including Colombia, Bulgaria, Spain, Turkey, Italy, Slovenia, Portugal, and Montenegro. Today, Maggie is in New Orleans. So we're taking advantage of her brief presence back home to learn something about digital nomadism. Maggie, it's a wonderful treat to see you. Welcome to the other side of the microphone at Out to Lunch. Thank you so much for having me. There are many more employees in the world than employers. So when we talk about the issue of work, we tend to probably unconsciously look at, at it through the kind of the employee lens. However, if you're an employer, you've got a distinct set of your own problems. Two constant employer problems are one, employing the right person for an open position, and two, training that person adequately so they do the job successfully, are happy doing it, and stick around. Companies in the same field are nearly always in competition with each other, so they're not sharing information about solving these problems. Hiring, training, and retention is therefore typically a game of hoping and finger-crossing. That's why David DeKerr's company is doing so well. David is the founder and CEO of ICANN Technologies. ICANN Technologies is a software company that creates technology to help employers do better than a human decoding of a resume. The software gets at the hard, cold facts about the true competency of a person applying for a job. ICANN also creates software for training employees and for accurately tracking whether employees are achieving the goals that they're out to accomplish. David Cure, welcome out to lunch. Thank you for having me. Maggie, when you live in another country, on top of your everyday expenses like food and rent, you have the added costs of travel to get to these places. In other countries, you may or may not have health insurance. When you're there, you don't want to be sitting in your apartment every night. You want to get out and do stuff, which also costs money. And you have the expense and aggravation of dealing with the bureaucracy of borders, embassies, and visas. You've been successfully navigating all of this since 2018. And as I mentioned, while you've been a researcher on Out to Lunch, you've lived in 18 countries and I believe you're headed to Croatia next. For anyone working out of Starbucks who's listening to you now and thinking, 
I could just as easily be working from Budapest, Rome, or Istanbul. Is that true? Is being a digital nomad as simple as getting on a plane with your laptop and taking your remote job with you? <laughs> well, it both is and it isn't. Um, definitely, you know, the laptop and the, and the plane ticket are required. Um, but so much of it is individual. And much as we are all, you know, unique, unique people, we all have our own set of factors that we have to manage. Um, and definitely, you know, in terms of affording it, it's much easier if you don't pay for a place back home. Do you pay for a place back home? At the moment, I do. Um, but, but typically, no. So when I, when I left New Orleans in 2018 and became a digital nomad, I actually put everything I owned in storage out in uh, River Ridge, which is, has been my closet ever since. So that is part of why I, I, come, I come back to New Orleans so regularly, is to switch out things and reorganize, make sure nothing's molding. So, but I'm on the right side of the levee, so oh, good. it's, yeah, it's, it's, awesome. a good, and, it's a good place. And don't live in the unit and live there. It's a, <laughs> yes, it's a bad sign, really. Exactly. David, since the end of 2022 and the release of OpenAI's ChatGBT, it's almost impossible to have a conversation about the future of work without talking about AI. We've heard the warning AI is going to replace us all innumerable times. However, I wouldn't have thought AI was going to replace the position of people who hire other people otherwise known as employers or human resources. But that's the direction of your company, ICANN Technologies AI. It's, that's where it seems to be headed. Reportedly, in a matter of seconds, in real time, your software creates personalized questions for a person interviewing a candidate for a job. It also knows in real time whether the candidate's answer is correct and assumedly also knows, as they used to say when humans were making decisions, if a person is not what we're looking for. This is pretty amazing because hiring the wrong person is one of the biggest and most costly personnel mistakes any employer can make. So do I have this right? Are you able to create AI software that takes the guesswork out of the employee interview process? Uh, to, to an extent. So basically what we use now is language models, the, the LLMs that everybody talks about, like chat GPT and stuff like that. And in the software now, you can actually type any topic, anything in the world that you need to train people on. You type it in and you tell it to generate and then instantly it generates a computer-based training with a script and the pictures and you can edit the script, you can change out the pictures, but then you can customize it to any topic in the world. And then very quickly after that, you can then tell the, the model to generate a question set. So it would generate 30 questions specific to your topic. It gives you the answers, the correct answers. Then most importantly, it gives you the reference of where to go to make sure that the AI model didn't hallucinate. And then on top of that, what also rolls out is that you can type in for it to give you some type of evaluation. So you can say, hey, uh, give me a five demonstrations on how to cook a pizza. And it will literally come back and give five demonstrations with the steps people have to perform to show that they're competent in how to cook a pizza, so. Now, now this all makes sense because you were an HR person. Somewhat, I was, <laughs> my background's petroleum engineering and technology and just a traditional MBA. The company that I was spun out of, they had put me in training. I've never been in training before in my life. I actually kind of thought it was a punishment when they did it. Uh, and then very quickly, when I looked at the training program, I was able to create the largest savings in their company's 80-year history. So they see this $2.5 million savings into perpetuity, and it was basically as simple as that training hasn't changed for the industrial workforce in over 30 years. So 
implementing new technologies to be able to speed the, that process up for people, so. Maggie, you're not just traveling. You're not traveling to where I would travel. It's not <laughs> London and Paris and Rome. You're in, I would say, sometimes kind of what I would consider dangerous places. Why do you do that? Is it just kind of the, uh, the spy in you? What, what is it that's, <laughs> that's doing this? You know, I think the more you travel, the more you build your confidence of where you're able to go um, because you're learning, you're, you're acquiring real skills. And so places that I would never send a first-time traveler, you, you start to get your wits about you. You know how to handle it. You, know, you learn how to negotiate public transit when you don't speak the language or, or can't even read it if it's in a, a non-Roman alphabet. Um, also, there, there are so many interesting things to see in the world, and sometimes added risk can be worth it to see places that are, are really special and really unique. And, you know, you're... I see a book here, is what I want to say. That's, that's what I'm getting at. The, uh, David, uh, when I'm thinking about who your clients would be, um, is, it, is it people that are in the same industry, or what's the parameters that really work? So it's really industry agnostic, um, but what we really tend to focus on right now is that industrial workforce. That's a really underserved market. So when you think about like learning management systems and competency management systems that have been around for 30 years, they're traditionally focused on you know the white collar worker, the the guy that's you know in the the office, the staff employee. They're not really focused on the industrial workforce, the people in the field that are doing the work, and that's in fact the greatest area that you have the most amount of risk in. So that's really where we've tailored the the solution for, to be able to reduce those risks for our customers that for the employees in the field. However. Every customer we have has become a bigger customer because it's very easy to see that once they start using it in their industrial group, it's easy for them to tailor it to everything from the CEO on down. So every customer we have, eventually, you know, their entire employee base is in there and they're using it to train accountants and HR folks, HSE folks. So it's an array of it. And Maggie, one of the uh, things when I hear people working remotely that they say it's great to can I have your home base in an expensive city and be living actually in a less expensive city? Is that, is that true? It definitely is true in terms of, of wages. Um, one of the big advantages that I have is that a lot of my professional background is in New York. And so employers there, especially being a freelancer, um, employers there are used to paying quite a bit higher wages than say, for example, in New Orleans or in my hometown of Louisville, Kentucky. Um, that being said, you know, if you're maintaining an apartment in that expensive locale, you're going to, you're going to lose that, that advantage for sure. Very quickly. Um, there's, there's a reason my things are in storage here and, and not in Brooklyn. Cause yeah, <laughs> definitely makes more financial sense. <laughs> I, you know, I have to ask this because that's what people are thinking is why, why do you do it this way? Is there something where you just need to keep moving? I assume and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, that you're in some way wanted by the law. Is that what the... the that I'm sorry, that I'm... That you're wanted by the law. That's why you're moving <laughs> around so much, but... The, uh. Not in this country. <laughs> um, no, I mean, it's... I think that's part of it, too, is... Um, you know, as, as a child, my parents divorced when I was quite young, so I learned how to transition between homes at a, at a very, very early age, um, which I actually think is a huge advantage, um, which is not to say that everybody needs to have kind of this lifetime of experience of being a traveler and, 
Um, you don't. It's, anyone can take on this lifestyle, but definitely it helps if you have some background of knowing where your things are, you know, kind of being able to live out of a backpack. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Peter Raschuti. I'm talking with Maggie Mendel about her life as a digital nomad. She's our researcher on Out to Lunch, and so far she's lived in 18 countries while she's worked with us. And David DeCure from ICANN Technologies, creator of software that is giving employers tools to find, hire, and retain employees. We'll continue our conversation when we come right back after this short break. Support for Out to Lunch comes from a data corporate staffing. Basics Swim and Gym and Basics Underneath Fine Lingerie, Camellia Productions Marketing Consulting, Corette Leadership Lab, Communication and Conflict Resolution, Feigley Communications, Full Service Marketing, Gamble PR, HR NOLA, Infinite Health Integrative Medicine Center, Lolo's Youth Yoga and Art Studio, Michelle Weighing and Measurement, Calibration Services and Measurement Equipment Since 1947, New Orleans Ice Cream, Available in Select Grocery Stores, New Orleans Investment Conference, November 1st through 4th. Noki, New Orleans Culinary and Hospitality Institute. Rev Realtors, The Idea Village, The Scout Guide Baton Rouge, and The Scout Guide New Orleans. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm talking with Maggie Mendel about her life as a digital nomad. She's our researcher on Out to Lunch and so far has lived in 18 countries while she's worked with us. And David DeCure from ICANN Technologies, creator of software that is giving employers tools to find, hire, and retain employees. David, how do you view um, your success? I and mean, one of the things, I guess, in the training is kind of safety record of the people you hire? So, yeah, so one, seeing safety incidents go down, two, overtime going down, um, and then, you know, obviously production downtime, being able to drive those numbers. But really what we think about is, you know, the development of the employee to become more prosperous. So having an employee go from a knowledge level of X and then being able to identify what they understand and what they don't and then giving them the training they need to where now they actually turn into employee Y and they're able to move up. Because when you think about that statistically, the one of the number one drivers of people leaving companies is because they don't feel like there's an opportunity to be developed. So if you can give them that opportunity and clearly ob or objectively show that to them, then your retention rates are, are improving drastically. And that's what we see with our customers today. So a career path, and I don't, I'm kind of guilty of this as a manager too. It's uh, and you know the feeling now is that if you want to raise, you got to go to a different company, yep. um, and it's unfortunate it shouldn't be. So I mean, you should be able to identify who your best and most motivated motivated employees are, and then be able to invest in them to be able to move up and you know get raises and everything else throughout their career at the company. So they shouldn't have to leave. And Maggie, I would think, in addition to um, good internet connections. Uh, person like you would have to be pretty disciplined. Nobody's looking over your shoulder. Uh, you do have some datelines, timelines you've got to reach, but um, are you pretty regimented when you get out there? I am, um, and you definitely do have to be, have to be very disciplined. Um, there are hacks that you learn along the way. You know, definitely a, a long time ago I learned to never plan anything for travel because 100% you will get a delay. Oh, so you taking the engagement on a, like a travel day, is that what you mean? Oh yes, yeah, I would never schedule a meeting for or a call for a travel day, because I mean, you're tempting fate, like there's, it's never gonna happen. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, sometimes you'll be in a place that's gorgeous and there's a festival going on and you don't really wanna work, but 
you still need to you still need to eat you still gotta you know you have deadlines to hit so definitely I had one of those moments I was in Via Reggio for Carnival earlier this year and that was a, a hard location for me to work from for sure a lot of a lot of discipline required is it like I think of riverboat pilots like you have a relationship in every port or is um <laughs> I, I think it's pirates actually sorry I kind of pirates, confused pirates. that yes they, they what about size David is a uh, do you need a certain amount of employees to make this work and are there also companies that are too big for what you're aiming at no when we came up with the pricing model we wanted it to be able to fit a company that you know only had 30 or 50 people as well as a company that had 30,000 employees because the only way for us to be able to aggregate the data that we need to be able to make the predictions we have to be able to get as you know as many folks on the on the software as possible so what we didn't want to do was design something and price it where only very few companies out there could do because then our data would be really skewed so we wanted to make it to where you know our smallest customer only has 30 employees our largest customer has around 3,000 right now. And I would think, um, you know, references are really becoming kind of worthless. I know when somebody calls me for a reference, she's so afraid to say anything negative. You know, it's uh, like I know he's an axe murderer, but I say, oh, you know, Mike was sharp. You know, I think things like that. I, it's, uh, it's really become <laughs> kind of worthless. Good thing you stepped, uh, stepped into the process. And what's cool about it is our customers, like are the employees now, they're actually putting their competency scores from our, from our software on their resumes because other customers that are using the software, they know what that those that equates to. And so then they can tell what their level of competencies are for them. So it gives them objective data to be able to put on a resume. So that's a, it's a really neat thing. And David can scale, uh, Maggie. I, that's one of the things you can't do, right? I mean, it's just you. I guess that's a lot of pressure in itself. That is true. Um, there are some digital nomads who have scaled. Um, but it's not without some, some ethical complication in terms of, you know, being the, the Western face who is, who is interacting with employers while at the same time outsourcing your work to, to people who would not be able to command the same wages that you do. Um, that's part of why I personally don't, <laughs> don't wow. engage in it. Um, but I hadn't thought of this. That's mm-hmm. an excellent idea. <laughs> you know, they, I, mean, I, know, I know you're trying to tell me not to do it, but wow. They, it's... Uh, and, and David, you went through, uh, like so many of our guests, um, glass half full and uh, um, bomb ass fro, some real successful companies. You went through that uh, Idea Village piece. Uh, just curious, so what did you had a great product. What did it give you that pulled it all together? No, so what it really does in my mind was it, it really opens your door to a lot of networking of people that you get to meet that you never would have met if it would have just, without going through the program. So we went through the Idea Village. We were one of... I think it was like 13 companies that went through the last cohort. We were one of the, the three finalists for the idea pitch at the end of, uh, of NAWI and everything. But it really opened the door to some of these people that we you know work with. Like uh, some of my mentors, you know, like Sumitra. I mean, the guy designed, you know, Microsoft Azure and like Steve Bachman and those guys that, you know, a Princeton engineer, Harvard MBA, and is helping you with, you know, financial modeling and stuff like that. And then also really opening it up to the investors. We were looking to take in outside money 
to be able to raise, you know, for the working capital because our growth rate's been 100% year over year. How about how is that part gone? So, no, it's been really good. So we're, you know, we've been meeting with a lot of locals like, you know, Boot 64 and New Orleans Startup Fund and stuff like that that are, you know, coming in and, you know, want to be part of it. They see, one, how huge of a market we have, but two, kind of a really unique solution. So it's it's been a good experience. I can say that um, I was a little nervous, you know, obviously with SVB failure and all this other stuff and kind of where it's at, but I kind of feel like we, we, we st- we're starting right at the bust, you know, because the technology busts about every seven to 10 years. So it's a great place to be right now because really there's nowhere to go but up at this point because it'll be just like every other bust that happens. So. And, and Maggie, I have to ask this question. If you were talking to someone who was considering uh, going your route, what would you tell them? What are the pros and cons? I mean, the pros are are pretty well known. You know, see the world, um, have unique experiences every single day, variety, endless variety. Um, but the cons are, you know, you, you sacrifice for that. You don't necessarily have a sense of community. Um, you know, I know for me, one of the things that's really special is anytime I hear someone call my name in public, it like brings a tear to my eye because it's so uncommon for that to happen. Um, and so when I was living in, in Medellin in Colombia, I actually bumped into a friend on the street and heard my name and I was like, oh wow, I actually live here. Like that's, that's pretty, that's pretty unique. Um, so yeah, I mean, and definitely I would say, you know, as a millennial with aging parents, um, that can be very challenging. And I think that that's kind of a, an unspoken factor with why fewer women tend to be digital nomads um, is definitely, I think there's some family care expectations that are not necessarily universal. Um, and so, yeah, being able to, to come home and make sure that I can help take care of them is very important. What I've got to think of is what does your family think of what you're doing? Is it even possible to explain? <laughs> Well, full disclosure, my mom is actually traveling for six months right now, so I think I've been a bit of a bad influence on her, so yeah, she's actually in Austria as we, as we speak. Yeah, yeah. David, you're certainly the face of the company. Are you also the guy building the software and all that? No, so I tell everybody I'm not very lucky, but one of the luckiest things I did was meet our CTO, so his name's Robert Clowers. Um, undergrad master's computer science he's done everything from running IT for hospitals in California to doing DNA sequencing for Tyson chickens R&D lab so he literally is experienced in all the different kinds of software and syntax so he you know I what I tell everybody is I just give kind of my halfway decent of an idea and he very quickly turns them into incredible ideas so He's the one that manages all the technical space and then the team that, that does the development on the, uh, you know, inside for us. You know what I would think would be good for the employer is if somebody says, why didn't I make it to the next round? They really could say, well, that's all done, you know, digitally and, yeah, uh, you know, it's not me. It's Well, then one of the most important parts, I was at a, you know, a thing yesterday for carbon capture sequestrian and they were talking about, you know, one of those places is going to be in between Baton Rouge and New Orleans to catch, you know, for the carbon capture. And another one's going to be kind of Corpus Christi area. And what they were talking about is where are they going to get the people? You have to be able to upskill the people from one technology to the next, and you have to do it at a very rapid pace. So that's where we're able to come in and take, you know, these new technologies, type it into the software, and instantly be able to spit out training specific to what they need to be able to, you know, take the oil and gas worker 
and then very quickly turn them into the carbon capture sequestrian uh, operator. So. And Maggie, uh, you do an amazing job for us, first of all. The, the other thing is that I read all these uh, studies that show what it takes to live to 100, for instance. You know, what it, and um, at this rate, you're not going to live very long. Is, uh, <laughs> they, uh, hated to bring it up, but is, uh, no, the, the, the reason is, is that the, the key common denominator is that you uh, have a pretty good social group and that you meet them kind of on a regular basis. Uh, have you gotten over that? You know, it shifts. Um, so my friend group is all over the world, which is a gift. Um, it does make it very challenging. You know, there's a there's a Brazilian Portuguese word called a word called saudade, which is this idea of of longing for something for a moment that has passed, for something that you you can't quite ever get back. There's a real nostalgia element to it, and and that's something I think about a lot. Of no matter where I am in the world, there's somewhere else and someone else I could be seeing that I can't, um, which is hard. But it's also amazing to send out the text message and say, hey, I'm going to be in New Orleans this week. Who's around? Well, like, so you're like on tour in the U.S. That's great. In, in a lot of ways, yeah, it does feel like a tour. I kind of have, you know, my, my usual places. And yeah, <laughs> it works. It definitely works. In 1932, Aldous Huxley published a book called Brave New World. And in 1949, George Orwell published a book called 1984. Both of these books set a benchmark for years to come in which futurists agreed about the machine-driven lives of alienation and disconnection we were all going to experience in a profit-driven big brother autocracy where power seemed to have no accountability and humans had no fun. Thankfully, only some of this is coming true. David, we don't really know where the technology that people like you are creating is going to take us, but so far anyway, it seems to be working for us rather than against us. And Maggie, none of the futurists in the 20th century predicted a wholly unchained workforce who can provide research from North Macedonia for a radio show and a podcast recorded in a brewery in New Orleans and heard around the world for free. It's certainly a brave new world. Maggie and David, thank you for bringing up a bit of it here to share with us. Thank you both for taking the time today to join me for Out to Lunch. Thank you, Peter. My guests on Out to Lunch today have been digital nomad and Out to Lunch researcher Maggie Mendel and David DeCure, founder and CEO of ICANN Technologies. We edited the show to fit into the time slot here on WWNO. You can hear our unedited conversation to find out more about Maggie's nomadism and David's human internet of things by listening to the Out to Lunch podcast. You can find and subscribe to the Out to Lunch podcast on your podcast app and on our website, itsneworleans.com. If you want to know what we all look like, you can find photos from the show on itsneworleans.com and on our Out to Lunch social media. These photos were taken today by Jill LaFleur. You can find more of Jill's photos at LaFleurphoto.com. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. And our researcher, of course, is Maggie Mendel. Today's show was engineered by Blake Longlinay. 
I'm Peter Raschuti. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the lunch table for more business New Orleans style on Out to Lunch. Out to Lunch was recorded live over lunch at the NOLA Brewing Tap Room, 3001 Chapatula Street, open seven days a week. NOLA Brewing Tap Room has a wide variety of craft beers and authentic hand-tossed New York-style city pizza by NOLA Pizza. More information is at nolabrewing.com. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Passion Lily, Fair Trade Fashion, 831 Charter Street, or PassionLily.com. And by Mind Coach, professional coaching for the professional brain. More information at mind-coach.com. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at mitchellforeman.com. If you'd like to be part of Out to Lunch, to learn how your business or organization can become an Out to Lunch program partner, email info at inobroadcasting.com.